comes ahead on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome to the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand. With me today is no one. Rocking this one alone here as Logan is a little busy today. So, uh, yeah, we're going to talk some MLS All-Star Games. We're going to talk some leaked U.S. Men's National Team World Cup kits. We are going to talk uh, some Americans abroad and, of course, the MLS weekend that was uh, and MLS getting its 20th thousand. 20,000th goal uh, this weekend um, by someone that we probably didn't think would be the one to score the 20,000th goal in MLS history. So that is what we're going to be looking at. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So I hope everyone enjoys this. Probably not going to be a super long episode. We will preview the week ahead as we usually do. But I think we are good to get started here. So uh, one of the things that I want to start off with here is Americans Abroad. So Leeds United drew. They had a 2-0 lead, but uh, Southampton comes back and scores two goals. Not great for Jesse Marsh, but I guess in a way draw, still not terrible when you have a 2-0 lead you're going to want to make sure that that stayed now of course it's not like the end all be all here but uh, let's take a look at the starting lineup Brennan Aronson started in the game so did Tyler Adams uh, the two goals would come from uh, trying to locate that. I saw the name and I can't remember right now. Rodrigo. That's what it was. Um, <clears throat> the two goals by Rodrigo. Okay. So. That was that. That's what we got in that game. Ended up 2-2. Uh, those goals were in the 46th and 60th minute. 
72nd and 81st is when Southampton scored to equalize the match. Pulisic got around, what, like seven minutes in a Chelsea-Tottenham-London derby? Not great. Not great. He hasn't started any match yet under Tuchel this year. There's reports coming out that Tuchel doesn't trust him. There are now links to Newcastle that he's going to be maybe potentially moving to Newcastle on loan. And is that good? I don't know. San Maxman is on the left usually, so he would have to play on the right or at least sub in on the left. Uh, Probably not starting there if he's not going to be on the right. But I think he's going to get more opportunities at Newcastle than he would for Chelsea. So what am I saying? I'm saying I am for this. <laughs> uh, people know I am a Chelsea supporter. That has kind of not been as strong since the Pulisic move, honestly, because, look, Pulisic, as we all know. Like the Phenom guy, right? He's like the LeBron James of soccer. And uh, we're treating him like the... I don't know. Chelsea is treating him not very well. Or I must have said Tuchel. Pulisic did pretty well under Lampard. He's won a Champions League there. I think it might be time to move on and get playing time. World Cup is this year. The World Cup is like three months away. It's less than 100 days away now. So with it being less than 100 days away, it is time for Pulisic to get some minutes. And hopefully, hopefully he will somewhere, some way. But it might be because of this move. I don't have much more else to say about that other than I think it's time to move. I just think it's time to move. Might be alone. Because they're probably not going to get the amount that they want for him right now. Loan him out. Let him get some playing time for the U.S. team coming up here. Please. We have an American owner now. Like, okay this, sir. So that way he can be informed for the World Cup. That's how we have to look at it. Okay, Chris Richards made his debut. He came in in the second half of Crystal Palace in Liverpool. So uh, he has made his debut uh, Palace hung on uh, to a draw at Anfield while they were up a man as well. All right. So that is most of our Americans abroad. I didn't have time to really shift through everything at this point. But um, let's see here. I did have some stuff that uh, the, the, the U.S. kits. I wanted to talk about these. And uh, I'm going to share it here on the screen if you're watching the YouTube. If you're not watching YouTube, I'm going to try my best to describe this as best as I can. So this comes from Puerto Rico. Uh, no, Puerto <clears throat> Sorry. Port Porto Delphian. Thomas Hill. So Thomas Hill's his name. It's at Porto Delphian. He is a panel, a columnist for the Philly soccer page. 
Okay, so he says more leaks plus some confirmation from a handful of trusted folks. Your 2022 U.S. World Cup shirts, everyone. So that's the tweet. The original tweet came from uh, U.S. Uh, USMT only, who said he got a DM about this. Weston McKinney commented on his Instagram saying, I tried to tell them with a sad face. So that is what this is here. So I'm going to try to describe this as best as I can. The U.S. men's national team crest in the center of the shirt. The home one is white with maybe blue accents around the collar and blue and red stripe on the sleeve with a uh, Nike logo underneath. That's it. Looks more like a training top. And actually, I mean, like, if we're going to wear an all-white one, wear the one we're wearing now. Like, that one actually looks pretty good. And then what would only be for the away kit, construed as a tie-dye blue and black away kit? I don't know. I'm not a fan of these. I don't understand why it is so difficult to make a good kit for the U.S. men's national team. It can't just be Nike. Nike does make other good kits. They've done that for other people. It's got to be some sort of combination of Nike and what U.S. Soccer Federation is asking for. Because the fact that they can like nail a Nigeria kit but can't nail a U.S. kit since the Waldos is troubling. And we just re-upped, you know, the U.S. soccer just re-upped their contract with Nike for like another 10 years, a year or two ago. So just looking at this stuff, it is not great. Not great at all. I mean not a fan of the tie-dye look I, I would actually even i don't even like the one that we're wearing now the blue and red weird stripes that we have but i prefer that over this these look bland these look really but they look like training tops some people have made the connection they look like what you'd find in target for like the you know knockoff merchandise um there you go and I don't know. I don't know how any side would think that this is going to sell. And it probably will. I think some casuals will probably buy the newest kit at some point. But look, this is our first World Cup in eight years. We missed 2018, and we're coming back to look like we're wearing this. Just go in what you already have and forget about it. This is really just awful. It is awful. We've seen so many leaks over the course of time. These leaks came out of nowhere today because the leaks that we had seen over the course of the last few months have been, I would say, even better than this. They're bland, but it looked better than these. And... uh Now, now I don't know, you know, like if they think I'm going to spend 
And that's the thing too. These jerseys always cost so much money. If they think I'm going to spend a hundred or 50, 130, whatever it comes out to with the taxes and the shipping on a Jersey that is like this with customization and all that stuff, there ain't no way. There ain't no way. Maybe the white one if I needed to, but I would rather actually go get the white one that we wear now. Don't want to spend too much time on it, but it's just, it's mind boggling that you can see so many fans just nail so many great concepts, so many concept artists, artists who put out great concept kits for the U.S. team. And instead, we're dealing with either Nike that's not creative or U.S. Soccer Federation that's not creative. And that's what we're left with. It's frustrating. The only way to do, fix this is by not buying it. I, I vowed I'm not buying this. I've seen a lot of people say they're not buying it. It'll still probably sell due to casuals and people that actually like it, I guess. But, you know, stick to your guns if not, because uh, we got to sometimes show them that this is not what we want. There's got to be another way all right we'll move on just wanted to uh share my thoughts on that since it's kind of something that dropped today and i was thinking about it a lot today all right all-star game we had the mls all-star game we had the mls all-star game skills competition uh the u.s uh, or MLS, won that as well. Hani Mukhtar hitting a crossbar challenge, hitting the crossbar challenge to win it. Um, last year, they had lost the skills comp, won the All-Star game this year. They win the skills comp and also win the All-Star game. That's right. Three minutes in, Carlos Vela went ahead and scored really early in. Three minutes. <laughs> then we had uh, a, a Raul Ruiz Diaz penalty in the 73rd minute, and then an Alvarez goal for Liga Mekis All-Star in the 85th minute. It finished 2-1, which, not to toot my own horn here, but Logan predicted a 3-2 win. I predicted a 2-1 MLS win. So there you have it. We, I nailed it. Nailed it. Two to one. Got lucky. Uh, Okay, some thoughts about it. I thought last year was fun. This year, kind of wasn't actually looking forward to it that much. And and when the day came, and I'm like, oh, it's all-star game time. Sat down to watch it. I think... The novelty of having Liga Mekis All-Stars versus MLS All-Stars has worn off. I don't think it was as exciting this year. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe other people disagree. But for me, I didn't enjoy it as much as last year. Same thing with the skills comp. 
I do hope that sticks around. I just feel like there's got to be some other way to drum up interest in this. Like the stadium wasn't as filled for the skills comp. I don't know if maybe we have to like give tickets away, make them really cheap for the skills. Comp. I have no idea how much that costs, but nobody was really there for it. It's also really quick. What an hour and a half, maybe it felt like it ended pretty quick. Well, then the all-star game rolled around and it was kind of the same feeling for me. And I think, you know, Don Garber said in an interview at halftime that next year, probably not going to feature Liga Mekis all-stars. We don't really know the way that that format will be going. It will be hosted at Audi Field in DC. So I'm trying to go to that next year. And I think that's fine. You know, I, I think part of it is what he mentioned is we're having League's Cup next summer. These players are going to be playing each other a lot. League's Cup, Champions League. I mean, the League's Cup every summer, taking off a month off of games to play League's Cup. We don't need to then have another showcase of it in the All-Star game. I think one thing that would actually get me more interested in it is having East versus West again. Now, the ratings may not be up for that. But we're moving to Apple, so I don't know what the All-Star game is situated like with the Apple deal anyway, if it's still going to be on linear TV. I'm not, I don't think, I'm not sure if they mentioned that. So if the All-Star game is not going to be on linear TV, then we don't have to worry about a television draw for it, right? So you could have it East versus West. And that way I'm invested in all of the players. I find myself not very invested in the Liga Mekki side. I don't follow that league that well, except for when they play in the Champions League or the League's Cup against MLS teams. So for some of these players, I'm just like, okay, I don't really have any connection to you. Now, when we played friendlies, right, against the big teams from other countries, Bayern Munich, Chelsea's, stuff like that, we of course, would see some of the younger players in those squads, but we'd also see some of the stars, and we have a connection to them from watching them on TV or whatever. We we know if we like the club already. We know what players are coming. I don't know. It feels different when it's two all-star teams against each other like this from two different leagues. I didn't really, you know, last year was like, oh, yeah, let's show them. Let's show them how far MLS has come. Well, guess what? MLS also won a Champions League this year with Seattle. So at this point, I feel like, okay, it's done proving ourselves with Liga Mekis. We're going to be playing each other every single week. I mean, every single year in the League's Cup next start, next starting next year. We don't need to continue proving ourselves against them. We'll do that on the field for real games. We don't have to then bring in a skills comp and an MLS All-Star game to go up against them with. I feel like we are good to just... Let's start East and West, or maybe they go back to the friendlies. I don't know. East and West, I'm fully committed to both sides. I'm interested in both sides. It allows more players to be picked on actual merit instead of like, hey, let's actually try to beat this League of Mechies team. Or let's try to beat this Chelsea team. So we're going to just pick names that haven't been all-stars, but are all-stars in caliber and have been in previous years. Well... If it's East or West, it allows more players. It allows more players from smaller markets and smaller teams to be recognized for the for the seasons they're having. 
I think that could be a good thing. I, th- I think that could be a good thing. Now, again, the issue is, is it a television draw? No, people don't even watch regular MLS games at this point. You know, the reason why Liga Mekis and this All-Star game drew so much is because they're playing against Liga Mekis. They're also on a Spanish channel as well as ESPN, and they're on both of those networks. And combined, it added up to like the what, one of the most watched. So there's layers to it on how they would go about it. And I'm really looking forward to next year to figuring out, okay, what's the next steps? Who are we playing now? How do we continue to grow this All-Star game? And if there's ever a time where they actually say, time to cut the All-Star game. I hope not. Because I do think it's fun. It's good for them to get recognized, having stuff in their contracts that probably give them bonuses about it and all that. But is it needed? That I don't know. Probably not. Those are my thoughts on the All-Star game. It was good that we won both the skills comp and the All-Star game. I'm very happy about that, but it just didn't feel like the event it was last year. Like I said, some of the novelty wore off, so who knows what next year brings. All right, let's take a look at what happened on the weekend. So Wednesday was the All-Star Game. Saturday is when most of these games are going to take place. Orlando Beats the Red Bulls. They somehow, well, you know, not. I'm not going to say somehow. They were the away team. They do a lot better on the road than they do at home, as Logan and I have talked about on here before. So they get a 1-0 victory over, uh, over the Red Bull Arena. This comes from a Facundo, Facundo Torres goal in the 17th minute. That's really all the action there was. A couple fouls, some subs. Not much going on there. In the stats department, um, as it loads slowly, Orlando edged out possession 52.5 to 47.5. So Red Bulls had 15 shots, by the way, to Orlando's two. But again, Orlando's on the road, so they go ahead and they win. And also, out of those 15 shots, only one was on goal for the Red Bulls. So not a great game for the Red Bulls at all. Where does that leave the Red Bulls? It puts them in fourth place after 25 games and 37 points, nine matches to go. Orlando back in a playoff spot, sixth place, 33 points. They're only four points back of the Red Bulls in a home playoff game. Can they make it? It's their first win in quite a while, their last five is a draw, three losses, and a win for Orlando. While the Red Bulls have been kind of in a slump as well, three losses, a draw, and a win in their last five. So it puts Orlando back in a playoff spot where they had dropped out of Chicago. We'll talk about it. Dropped out of the playoffs that they were just in as well, Inter-Miami entering the playoffs. Uh, we'll talk about that as we get there. The next game on the schedule was Cincinnati hosting Atlanta. That game finished 2-2. Almada in the 17th minute gives Atlanta the lead. Brandon Vasquez 
pulls one back and equalizes in the 29th minute. Then you have Brenner scoring again in the 41st minute. He's kind of been firing on all cylinders lately. 41st minute for Cincinnati. And then Gutman scoring in the 83rd minute. He scored the week before. He's going to score again here. And that is, ladies and gentlemen, your 20th thousandth MLS goal comes from Gutman, uh, who may have been offside here. It is tough to tell. I would say I probably lean towards him being offside. But it was interesting watching like the stats come up on Twitter as you're following all these games, you know, following all the games. I'm watching the Union one, of course, prioritizing that game, scrolling through stuff as all these games were taking place a lot at the same time. And then seeing like, oh, okay, uh, 10 more goals to go until we reach 20,000. I wonder if they'll get there today. And both Saturdays, last Saturday and this Saturday, tons of goals. Tons of goals for those uh, two days. So that was, of course, Gutman. 20,000 goals. New England Revolution beat D.C. at Gillette Stadium. Carlos Hill in the 18th minute. For New England. Philadelphia hosts Chicago. And that game finishes 4-1 to one at Subaru Park. Daniel Gosdag in the 16th minute. Jack Elliott in the 37th. Chris Mueller is going to pull one back in the 49th. Carranza in the 53rd. And Corey Burke in the 82nd to make it a... 4-1 game. Chicago outpossessed Philly 56.4 to 43.6. Philly outshot them 17 to 13. And they both had seven shots on goal. Union convert more. And that is what I think is scary to some of the people in the Eastern Conference and maybe even some Western Conference folks. This Union team is so much better than last year's. A team that made the Eastern Conference Final. They just had their third loss of the season last week. They come back out and make a statement. 4-1 to one against Chicago, one of the worst teams in the East. This is a team that used to never score this many goals. Last year, I felt like it was a lot of 1-0s, 2-1s, 2-0s. Just in their last five, just in their last... Two out of three here. Ten goals. Philly, 6 nothing over Dynamo. Cincinnati, 3-1 uh, Philly. And then 4-1 Chicago, uh, Philly to sh- over Chicago. That's 11 goals scored in their last three games. This was a team that never scored that much. And even at the beginning of this year, was having problems scoring goals. Now that they have everybody healthy, now that their attackers are all ready to go, they're putting balls in the back of the net. It's wonderful. Wonderful. This is a whole different team. This is a whole different feel to this franchise right now. They are legitimate contenders for an MLS Cup. They sit five points above Montreal, who's in second place. They sit six points above NYCFC, who's in third. Now, NYCFC has a game in hand. Second, really quickly, change to three points up. But NYCFC have had a draw and two losses in their last three games. Castellanos, still top goal scorer with 13. 
and he's left. So NYCFC having a tough time lately. They're scoring goals, but they lost both goal games three to two, and they had a nil-nil drill again, nil-nil draw against Montreal before that. So I feel pretty good as a Union fan. You're like, all right, this is what we've been wanting to see from this team. They're scoring goals. They're putting the ball in the back of the net. They're still not giving up a lot of goals besides that Cincinnati game. They've only given up 19 goals on the year, the Union. Which is by far the best in the league. Second best is LAFC with 24. So LAFC have conceded five more goals than the Union have. The Union are also scoring goals. 45 goals on the year. How many did they score last year? Let's take a look. Pulling that up now. Wow. 48. The 2021 Union scored 48 goals last year. They're at 45 with nine games to go. They're going to for sure pass that. Let's take a look at some other years. 2020 was a shorter season, so of course that's going to be lower, 44 goals. 2019, 58 goals. Who had most of those? Sabelko with 15. Marco Fabian with 7. Okay. They could pass that goal total. 49 in 2018. 50 goals in 2017, 52 in 2016, 42 in 2015. A lot of these were in negative goal differential, by the way. 51 goals in 2014, 42 in 2013, 37 in 2012, 44 in 2011, 35 in 2010. They're 45 now. That is pretty special. This is also like the le- least amount they've given up lately. Two, 19 right now. Of course, nine more games. Still some room there. But what a team. What a team. So there you go. That is the Union and where they're positioned. Looking at it from the Chicago side, they drop out of a playoff spot. They're in 10th place after their run that had pulled them all the way up to like 7th or 6th. They have 30 points, though. They only need 3 to get back up to 6th place where Orlando is. And Atlanta, in 13th place, has 29 points. They only need 4 points to jump up into 7th. It's getting real close from that 5th place to 13th place, which is a 5-point difference. DC needs a little bit more ways to go in 14th place. Okay, Toronto beat Portland 3-1. Osorio in the 41st. Van Rankin in the 73rd to tie it up. Insigne and Bernadeschi in the 79th and 85th minute. They are continuing to score goals for Toronto, and that has put them up to 12th place. 
recently here. I'm not sure if this is when they joined. Since July 23rd. Let's go there. Since July 23rd, Toronto, that's their last four games, have beat Charlotte 4-0, drew with New England 0-0, beat Nashville 4-3, and beat Portland 3-1. They're starting to score goals. A lot of these goals are starting to come from Bernadeschi and Insigne. I don't know what they're... How many they've scored already? I'm pulling that up. Insigne already has two and an assist, and Bernadeschi has three and an assist. They've only played four games. They've only played four games. That is like, uh, for Bernadeschi, it's a .92 goals per 90 minutes. This team is is getting it together right now. Can they make a run? They're at 29 points. They need four points for a playoff spot. You look at the teams above them like Charlotte, Chicago, New England, Cincinnati, Miami. They can do it. They can do it. Charlotte. We'll talk about them in a bit, but they've lost. It's like a lost sandwich right now. They have two losses, a win, and two losses in their last five. So Toronto has some space to run up that, run up the table. And if teams like Orlando and Miami play the way that they have been, Miami's been a little better, but Orlando play the way that they have been. Don't count out Toronto. Inner Miami beat NYCFC 3-2. This game is nuts. NYCFC scores first in the 34th minute. Pozuelo scores in the 39th to tie it up. Then New York City F- uh, New York City FC has scored again in the 45th plus two. Goes into halftime with a 2-1 lead. Lasseter in the 63rd minute, then Pozuelo again in the 84th, and Miami comes all the way back to win this game. They had less possession, they had less shots, but they're going to end up with the win and the three points that puts them again in a playoff spot. They're seventh place, 25 games, 33 points. Lots of 33s, lots of 29s when we look at points in the Eastern Conference right now. So good job, Miami. For them, that's one loss in their last five. Then a draw, a win, a draw, and a win. So good for Miami at home there. Austin at home. This was like game of the... This is game of the weekend, I think, for me. You have Austin down 2-0 at home against the worst team in the West. Fontes scores in the 12th minute. Agata scores in the 23rd. Gallagher is going to score in the 27th for Austin. It makes it 2-1 to SKC. Well, 40th minute, penalty kick is called. SKC steps up. Johnny Russell converts it in the 40th minute. It's 3-1 SKC. Cascante in the 63rd minute makes it 3-2. Hosen makes it 3-3 in the 85th minute. And then the 90-plus fourth, Jerusi scores to make it 4-3. Austin gives them a home 
win late in stoppage time. Incredible scenes. Now, you know, Austin sits with 48 points. It's the same amount as the Union. They give up more goals. They've scored more goals, though. They've scored 54 and given up 34. They're actually the highest scoring team in the league. LAFC has 53. They have 54. But they give up 34. <laughs> so it's a little a little tougher on their defense there. They had a little bit of a hiccup with their loss against Red Bulls, which was another high-scoring game, 4-3. But other than that, they've had a draw, a win, a draw, and a win. And Jerusi has 17 goals on the year. That is the most. He is leading Golden Boot, and he is now becoming a very big favorite for MVP of 2022 MLS season. And if it ended today, probably would win it, I would think. Not just because of the goals. He also has five assists. But he is an attacking midfielder. Can also play forward. But he has just been on another level this season since... Uh, what has he got? 17 goals in 25 games, five assists. Only two of those goals are penalty kicks. Remarkable. I totally could see him winning MVP. Probably deserve it, especially if they continue to function at the rate they are and they finish second in the West, which at this point, they're nine points up with the game in hand on Dallas, who've played 26. I don't think they're going to win the West. I don't think they're going to win a community shield. I mean, supporter shield, but they're playing pretty darn good and watch out. They could win MLS cup. Now I know SKC is a bad team, but the fact that they were able to come back from that last year, that game's a loss. Like last year at this time of year, they lose that game this year. They came back and won that game. And that is remarkable for Austin. So kudos to Austin FC and kudos to all of their fans because that was a very entertaining match. Colorado hosted the crew and they draw 1-1. That was a goal by uh, by Chucho Hernandez in the fifth minute for the crew. And a 41st-minute Rubio penalty kick for the Rapids. Dallas hosted San Jose, and they win 4-1. to one. They score all four of their goals before San Jose scores there through a Bobasi in the 60th minute. Jesus Freire in the 3rd and the 41st, Farfan in the 20th, and Valesco in the 57th. Houston at PNC Stadium, hosting Montreal. Ferreira scores in the 12th minute. Kyoto equalizes with a 15th-minute penalty kick. Johnston gives Montreal the lead in the 28th minute. Stairs uh, equalizes in the 36th. And then Lapalainen in the 69th minute to give Montreal a road victory. Again, they sit second in the East. Now, they have not lost in their last five. They have a win, a draw, a win, a draw, and a win. 
they're the only team in the East that have not lost in their last five games. So kudos to Montreal. Really the hottest team, except for LAFC, who have had five straight wins. So there you go. Those are the, uh, other than that, that two else has not lost in their last five, but that's Western Conference. LA Galaxy hosted Vancouver. LA Galaxy win five to two. We have Chicho Hernandez, uh, Chicharito Hernandez in the 20th minute, Grand Sur in the 12th minute. Grancer again in the 40th minute, Vasquez in the 30th, and Alvarez in the 89th. Vancouver had gold in the 38th, Ricketts in the 70th, and Dahomey got a red card in the 79th minute as the Galaxy got a must, much needed win. LAFC beat Charlotte 5 0 at Bank of California Stadium. Mario in the 49th minute, Safuentes. In the 59th, Carlos Vela in the 73rd, 73rd, Arango in the 76th, and Walks in the 80 plus two own goal. That's your Saturday. On Sunday, Nashville hosted Minnesota, and this was another good game. Fragapani in the 27th minute gives Minnesota the lead. Hani Mukhtar equalizes in the 61st, 61st, and Benitez gives Minnesota the lead in the 75th minute, and that's all she wrote. Nashville, not been good at home recently. And the last game of the weekend was Seattle hosting RSL and uh, Cordova in the 32nd minute, giving RSL the lead. Rusnak equalizing in the 67th, and then Brody Brody scoring in the 64th minute to give RSL the victory. Seattle outpossessed and outshot them. And in the words of Brian Smetzer after the game, time is running out. Here's his words here. The playoffs are still within reach, but I do agree with everybody in the room and all the fans that time is running out. We've got to figure this out very quickly. They've made the postseason 13 straight years, and we know that they just won the Champions League this year. But they are still, where are they at now? They are in ninth place, which is only one point shy of sixth place. They have 32 points. LA Galaxy sits sixth with 33. Nashville has dropped to seventh with 33. Portland is in eighth with 33 points. They gotta, it's gonna be a battle for those what probably fifth, sixth, and seventh spot. And RSL gained ground on that because they're they have 37 points. So if they had lost, they would have 34, and Seattle would have 35. It was a big game. And now we can officially say the Jordan's curse on RSL is over. They went on the road here, made a great <laughs> win that they needed for playoff positioning. So good job, RSL. Okay, so that's your weekend results. And what Brian Smetzer thinks of his team. All right, so what we're going to do here is we're going to take a look at the game of the week, match of the week. It's time for the match of the week preview. 
match of the week previews where we take a look at the games and tell you which game is the most interesting. Well, tomorrow, uh, Tuesday the 16th, there is an LAFC hosting DC United game at 1030 on ESPN Plus and all the local channels if you're in LA and DC, your usual spots. Wednesday, we have Atlanta, New York at 7.30, Toronto, New England at 7.30, New York City and Charlotte at 8 o'clock, Dallas and Philly at 9 o'clock, and Vancouver hosting Colorado at 10. On Friday night, we have a big match, LA Galaxy versus Seattle on ESPN at 10 p.m. On Saturday, we have New York Red Bulls versus Cincinnati at 6 o'clock, D.C. hosting Philadelphia at 7.30. Montreal hosting New England at 7.30. Miami hosting Toronto at 8 o'clock. Minnesota hosting Austin at 8. That's another big one. Colorado hosting Houston at 9 o'clock. Salt Lake hosting Vancouver at 10. San Jose hosting LAFC at 10 o'clock. Then on Sunday, none of those games on Saturday, by the way, are nationally televised. On Sunday, we have The Crew hosting Atlanta at 5.30 on FS1. Chicago hosts NYCFC at 6 o'clock. Charlotte hosts Orlando at 7. SKC hosts Portland at 7.30 on FS1. And Nashville hosting Dallas at 8.30. I don't think it's any surprise that if I'm talking about a game to watch out for and to sit your butt down and watch the game, it's going to be LA Galaxy and Sounders. On Friday night. Here is the breakdown of their head-to-head. LA Galaxy with 14 wins. Seattle with 15 wins. And each team having 12 draws. Sounders have scored 59 goals in this matchup. And LA Galaxy have scored 56. So they've played each other about 43 times, 41 times, something like that. The last time they faced off was a Seattle victory over LA Galaxy on March 12th. 3-2 to Seattle. Big game. Big game. Looking at it again here, where do they sit in the West? Okay. RSL is in 5th with 37 points. LA Galaxy is in 6th with 33 points and a game in hand, 24 games. Nashville is in 7th with 26 games and 33 points. Portland's in 8th with 26 games played and 33 points. And Seattle is in ninth after 25 games and 32 points. They're separated by a point. Galaxy sit in a playoff spot. Seattle... Very much wanting to get in that playoff spot. Smetcher just said time's running out. Seattle has had three losses in their last five and two wins. The Galaxy, three losses and two wins in their last five. These teams are very, very similar right now. Plus three goal differential for the Galaxy, plus one for Seattle. Galaxy have scored 37 goals and given up 34. Seattle have scored 32 and given up 31. Not much separates these two teams. The Seattle has had two more losses and one less draw than the Galaxy. 
that's it. That's all that separates them. That one point and a game in hand to the Galaxy. Top goal scorer, this is where the issue comes in. Jordan Morris with six. Chicharito with 10 for the Galaxy. It is time for Seattle to wake up. Now, of course, we talked about it in the past. If they they end up missing the playoffs, but they still won the Champions League, it's still a successful season. They were the first club to ever do so. But after making it 13 straight years, you want to keep that going. I'm sure the fans want to keep it going too. Alrighty. I think that's about it for today. Just want to thank everyone for listening, and I hope. This stuff on the next episode next week. If you want to follow us, we're on all of our platforms at Stateside Show TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Twitter at Stateside Show or email us statesideshow at gmail.com. Give us your feedback. Give us your thoughts, your feelings on the things that we are saying. Team, uh, you know, your thoughts, your predictions on games. That's cool. Rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That helps more people find the show. But other than that, I hope everyone has a great rest of their week. We'll see you next time. Gonna fall for Ibrahimovic! Oh, come on! Come on! Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the U.S. men's national team, Americans Abroad, MLS, USL. This is Stateside Soccer Show presented by Stoppage Time Soccer Show. Have a good one.